If you'll turn your Bibles to John 1, we will be there this morning. We're talking about worshiping the Word made flesh. And as we do that, um, just want to begin by sticking through some memories I've had of, of Christmas. Um, some of the gifts that I received, um, uh, you know, I could go on and on. My parents were very generous and uh, and when my brothers came along, you know, I got a little bit less proportionately, but, you know, uh, they're not even here to enjoy that joke. But anyway, uh, I, I, I did, uh, I, there were a couple of highlights, you know, obviously getting Hot Wheels and stuff like that was fun. And mom and dad made sure we had the tracks, you know, and they had this building, I don't know how else to call it, and you put the tracks in it and it had, it had uh, batteries in it. And so when the car came around and hit it, then it shot it around and, I could just watch that for hours. I thought that was so awesome, you know. And uh, we had a, one of those tabletop hockey games that, that we played, and uh, my dad donated his bowling trophy. Uh, and, you know, I was young enough. I didn't really care, didn't know the difference. But whoever won got to have the bowling trophy until the next time. It was this big trophy. some big bowling award. But anyway, so we played for that. Uh, as, as I got older, obviously, and, and then moved on with, with my life, so to speak, I was in Bible college. Meg and I were married at the time, and I remember uh, traveling down to where uh, Mom and Dad Murray were down in New Jersey and uh, visiting them. And then uh, it was probably around Thanksgiving or something like that, but we brought a Christmas tree home that they weren't using. And it was like, you know, yes, we have a Christmas tree, right? So we're getting ready to put this Christmas tree up and realized we had forgotten the pole. <laughs> So not really worth a whole lot. So I went out to you know, whatever it was. I'm not even sure there was Home Depot around there back then. But anyway, got, got the, the biggest dowel I could find and drilled some holes in it and put it all together. And we had Christmas around a Christmas bush that year. It was only about that high. But anyway, so, so you know, there's all kinds of memories we have. And obviously, Maggie and I, you know, we've, we, we celebrate together. But we've also used to go to my... Um, both of my grandmother's houses uh, and, and celebrate with our extended family and, and many other times that we just had together. So really what, what it was was the, the gifts and the, the people and the family. But we also uh, had a tradition in, in a former church where, where we would do Christmas Eve. And that was just kind of a big thing uh, there. Uh, and so even just celebrating the birth of Jesus, you know, that, that's something that is, is very much a tradition and obviously, you know, how I was brought up, but also what we want to do. And so here we have today, a day where we are uh, one day away. Last year, Christmas Day was actually Sunday, um, but we're looking ahead to the birth of Jesus and in, in our celebration of it. And so with all of these different things, one thing we just need to keep in mind is that really all of this, whether we acknowledge it or not, centers around the person of Jesus. Even the giving of gifts is a remembrance of the gift that God gave us through Christ. And so whether the world, again, or we ourselves want to celebrate in that way, well, you know, that's going to be our choice. But, but everything about it, you know, the, the, the colors and, and the, the, you know, the, what do you call it, uh, decorations and many other things, there's some symbolism there that really all point us back to who Jesus is. Now, with all of that said, as we're kind of looking to the message today, some of the most challenging messages to prepare as a pastor 
are those things that are just traditionally on the calendar. Christmas and uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, you know, it's, it's really hard sometimes to try to, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't change. And there's only so many scriptures. And so over a course of so many years, it's like, okay, how do we, you know, and here's my point. Why try? Why try to spin it a different way? So this morning, what I want us to do is just worship Christ. And in doing that, I want us to do that through John 1. We'll get to there in a moment. So we're not going to reinvent Christmas. Most of the time, we'll be spent in John's gospel. We'll begin, as we begin, let's remind ourselves of the theme of each of the gospels, just so we understand where John's theme in is and how it fits in the different gospels. Matthew portrays Christ as king. The genealogy or royal lineage of Jesus was vital to the legitimacy of this newborn king, right? It, it, was, it, was, for, it was told to us, here's where Jesus came from. So he was and, and, and is royalty. Luke emphasized the humanity of Christ, and he also provided both his genealogy and an account of his birth, which again would have pointed to, toward his humanity. Mark's theme for Christ is Christ the servant. What is obviously missing from his account of his life is his genealogy and birth. And that's simply because that in a servant's life doesn't matter. And then we have John. No genealogy, no record of Jesus' birth, and that's because John's purpose for writing, his emphasis, was the deity of Christ, that Christ is God. So, a genealogy doesn't matter to the one who's always existed, right? So as we consider John's gospel, we're going to read the first 18 verses of John 1. In your pew Bible, you can see it's page 918. Just follow along as I read this for you, and then we're going to uh, talk through this. And, and if you just want to keep, obviously, your finger here, then, then you can um, you know, refer back to this. But we'll have some things on the slides as well, some, some verses. So John 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
And of his faithfulness, we have all received and grace for grace. But the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So God the Son has declared God the Father. So as we consider these things, um, what I want us to see here is, is uh, Christ in this. But because we're talking about Christmas and using this as a Christmas text, we're going to kind of retrofit this a little bit. We're not going to change anything, but we're just going to look at it from a little bit different angle, a little bit different uh, trajectory here, and begin with considering that Christ is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. And it says here in uh, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want us to begin by just reminding ourselves, or for some of us, maybe this is something new, but logos is the Greek word for word. And that's what it's saying here, that the logos, the word was made flesh, and it simply means word or speech. So we'll see that the chapter begins with logos as well. We'll see that in, in, in a little bit. We already read that. But here in verse 14, we see that the word was made flesh. It literally means the enfleshment or the embodiment of the word. We also see here that the word was a he, a person. It wasn't a thing. It was a person. So how is this person described? In verse 14, it says, he became flesh. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That means that he took on flesh, obviously. But, but as we think of the only begotten of the Father, it means that he was the only one that came from the Father. It's not a matter of birthing. It's a matter of position. But this full of grace and truth has the idea of, of if we kind of go back to even what the Old Testament says about that word grace, it's, it's, it's loving kindness. So he came full of what? Loving kindness and without error. That's how Jesus came. And if we kind of just in a big picture sense, think about his life, that's what he was marked by. He was a gracious man as people interacted with him. But he also did not compromise what the truth was. And he even challenged those who were his detractors and said, name something I've done wrong. You know, you know what? That's not a phrase I walk around with all the time. You know, I don't ask Maggie, tell me what I've done wrong. As if there isn't like pages that could be filled out there, right? In John 17 and 18, we see this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And again, we just read that, but we're talking about Jesus Christ. Let's, let's break that down. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And then we have Messiah, the anointed or chosen one. So if we put that together, this is where we declare the word, he, who is it? Jesus Christ. So God spoken in the flesh, 
He is Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah is salvation, the one chosen basically to bring it. And then as we see here, verse 18 basically says he's the only begotten son who is the bosom of the father. This was foretold by Isaiah. We see it in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay, that alone, I understand that we, we sing about this, right? And we, we, we understand this from the Christmas story and everything else. But just let's stop and think about that for a minute, folks. A woman who never had relations is going to have a child. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what is Emmanuel? God with us. God with us. Then, in Isaiah 9, 6, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, there's a lot of really strange names out there these days, right? Especially singers. I'm like, I don't know. Some guy's name is The Weeknd. Like, you couldn't come up with me. It's weird, you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he sings. I just know his name is The Weeknd. It's like, I don't know. Anyway, in some ways, if you look at this, right, how, how bold to basically say that a child is going to be born is going to be called Mighty God. Now, folks, I'm not making light of this, okay? But elementary school, you know, Johnny, Susie, Mighty God. Seriously. I mean, we would be like, who would call their child Mighty God? Here's the point. These are all the titles of who God the Son is. And once he became flesh, that was going to come to pass. He already was everything we see here. But in the person of the child... This is who he's going to be. Wow. It's amazing. Many people in the New Testament times struggled with the idea of God becoming a man. Some still do today. The flesh was considered corrupt. How, how can you somehow have God be flesh when flesh is bad? Now, by the way, we, we would agree with that to an extent as far as the flesh being bad, Right? As a result, early false teaching denied the humanity of Christ that Jesus had come in the flesh. They deny that. And this is why John felt it compelled to repeat this subject in his letter to the churches back in 1 John chapter 1. So same author of the gospel, but look at what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, by the way, from the beginning, what's that talking about? We're talking about really a, a, a declaration of Christ's e eternality, the fact that he is from forever. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested or made known, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested again, made known to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Now, folks, I'm going to read the rest of that. How many other ways can John say, uh, we saw him, 
We, we experienced him and he's real. Bodily. In human form. Right? So we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. What was the pronouncement of the angels when he came? Joy, right? For the most part, people today deny the deity of Christ. That means they're denying the fact that he is God. So Jesus only came in the flesh and was in no way God. That's, again, what a lot of people feel like today. We briefly heard earlier John's express purpose of his account is to rightly present Jesus as God. So as we consider that, I want us to look at the deity of Christ. Now we're going back now to the beginning of our passage. Remember I said we're going to take a little bit different route. John's gospel was primarily about telling us that Jesus was God. That's what he led with. And then he said God was made flesh. We're talking about Christmas. So we started with God was made flesh. Well, who is this God that was made flesh? John 1, verses 1 through 4 again, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John's words remove any chance of confusion or speculation as to who Jesus was and is. Right? I mean, there's not a lot of words here, but boy, did they pack a punch. So we see first here that this word pre-existed with God. The word was with God. The word also pre-existed as God himself. The word was God. We also see here that he was the creator and sustainer of all things. Both Jesus being with God and being very God in nature are established in the text before any reference to creation. Did you notice that? In other words, he says he is God, and then he says he creates. The author is affirming Christ's being, who he is before Christ's doings, his actions. And yet Christ's miracles act, uh, miraculous acts also emphasize his deity, and that the word or very expression of God himself spoke or expressed everything into existence. Do you get that? The word spoke because we see here that he was creator and everything came into existence and nothing came into existence that wasn't, right? It all came by him. There are other recorded actions performed by Christ after creation, but before he actually came as a baby. And then while on earth, Jesus performed miracle after miracle as both signs that he was God and to minister to others. There were two purposes behind that. But what I want to do is I want to go back to verse 14 again and just, just look at this word. It says, and, and we beheld his glory. We already determined the meaning of Jesus becoming the flesh, but look at what the text says. The word, Jesus Christ, dwelt among us, right? He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. 
the glory of the only begotten, the only one who was come from the Father, the glory of God himself. That's what it's speaking about. That's who it's speaking about. So these pray, uh, verses perfectly complement verses 1 and two, 3 in that in the person of the Son, he took on flesh while fully retaining his glory. In other words, we don't have half God, half man. We don't have somehow an essence of God being poured into a body. We have an individual who is unique in all of space and time, all of humanity. He is completely God and completely man. And if you think about it, as we were created in the image of God, we had no sin prior to Adam's fall. So for him to take on a body that was a virgin-born body that did not have man's influence there, right? His nature was not passed down. This fits. It's fine. It's good. And so this is the unique individual that we have in Jesus. So let's kind of put this together, if we can, some of the things we looked at. After the children of Israel left Egypt, God dwelled, uh, uh, tented with them. You remember that? We called it the tabernacle. And he led them with his glory through the wilderness. That's what we're told. A, a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And everybody recognized that that represented God. That was a picture, just a picture of the Messiah, God's chosen one who came to dwell with man, living out God's glory in the flesh. So God communicated to man who he was by taking on a body and living among us as the Christ, as the chosen one of God. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration here that might seem kind of weird. It has nothing to do with Christmas. But, but I, I want you to, to, to kind of get what I'm saying. There is, there is something called the one-inch punch. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you haven't. Bruce Lee, um, for many, many years ago, was a martial artist. Uh, just a phenomenal physical specimen, right? The one-inch punch is basically you take your hand and you hold it one inch from somebody and you use your entire body to focus the energy into that punch and within one inch you can hit somebody and you can cause some damage it's 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 a highly trained thing but it's possible as a matter of fact bruce lee himself sent a 245 pound man kind of sort of about me uh anyway um backwards with a one inch punch just knocked him back it's not magic it's just taking all of your body and focusing it onto those few knuckles. You know, that's really what God did when he brought Jesus as a child. It's a one-inch punch. It is, it is this injection of who he is into the world, and it's just, bam, I'm here. Isn't that amazing? God with us. Foretold hundreds of years before brought about absolutely just like the prophet said, 
And he's God. This little baby is God in the flesh. And he was going to grow up and live a perfect sinless life. And then give it for us. Nowhere in time. No other person. No other religion. Right? Can give that kind of a punch. It's impossible with man. It's impossible with any of our inventions. But with God, he just did it. He came into the world he created, right? And that kind of brings us to the response that people had of Christ. We stay in our text. John 1 verses 9 through 11 says this. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now let's just remind ourselves of what this means. First of all, we see that he was rejected by the world. Christ, the true light, coming into the world. Uh, the New American Standard translate this a little bit better. So I just want to kind of have this in the back of our thinking as we go forward. It says, there, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Okay? In other words, his coming into the world enlightened every man. That's the idea. The world did not have a relationship with him. The idea here, the phraseology is that they didn't desire a relationship with him. Israel, his own people, rejected him. Isn't that what the word tells us there? But we also see that there was a, a, okay, there's the rejection of the world, there's a rejection of his own people, but there is a reception by those born of God. Look at what it says here in verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who are Christ, that is his own, receive him as God and Savior by a gracious act of God. Notice how those who believe were not born or given life. It was not by birth. So we were not just born into a family that believes, for example. And then we're going to go to heaven. Nor by the flesh willing it. Okay, in other words, it's not even by some kind of act of selfishness is really what it's saying, nor by the will of man. We can't, we can't just will our way. No, it's by an act of God that we are given life. So as we bring this to conclusion here, as a body of believers, we believe that God is one in nature but exists in three persons. When Jesus came to earth as the, as the Christ child, he was fully God and took on human flesh, fully God and fully man. Jesus was not diminished in any way, but he voluntarily came as a servant when he took on human form. So as we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, the Christ child, Christ the King, Christ the Savior, all the same, we cannot miss that we celebrate Christ the Lord. God, who put on a human body, who made everything and holds it all together, is the sovereign one. 
He is the master. That's Jesus himself. So let me offer an illustration this morning that might help us with what receiving means. My illustration is purely on the human side of things, our perspective on our relationship with the Lord. So it's coming from our perspective. People do not naturally have a desire to have a true relationship with the Lord. We saw that in the passages that we were looking at. So let me kind of put this in, you know, a relationship type of thing. Some people flirt with God like people flirt with others. Flirting is showing interest in someone, right? Hello over there. It's saying, I may even have some interest in you, but there is no real relationship. There's absolutely no commitment whatsoever in flirting. Praying when we have a need, coming to church, even changing our behavior doesn't mean that we have a relationship with the Lord. It simply doesn't. We might just be flirting. Dating. Dating in our minds has more of a commitment to it, doesn't it? When, we, when people date God, they may take time to even get to know him, or at least attempt to. Their lifestyle will probably show some changes because if you're dating someone, you're going to change what you do a little bit. But no matter how long they carry on a relationship with God like this, dating really isn't a total commitment, right? We think of the parable of the soils, and ultimately what happened there was they had a form of a, of a relationship, but it never really, what we would call, come to fruition, right? It was never really made complete. There really wasn't anything to show for it. You see, salvation is a lot like marriage. We come to know the other person and we want to commit to them to exclusively be with them because we recognize who they are. In one sense, God got down on one knee and said, will you marry me when he died on the cross for his own? Jesus is God's proposal. He is. He says, I want to have a relationship with you and I'm going to make that possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of my son. Let's go back to John 1 again, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Only those who have received Jesus, who have said yes to God's proposal, have put their faith in who Jesus is and committed themselves to him. Only those who have trusted Christ their Savior basically have a marriage license. There was a trend a number of years ago when I was a youth pastor. Um, that was a number of years ago. <laughs> and one of the things that they talked about when, when a, there was a dating couple is they refer, we would refer to them as being married. Well, 
You know, there's a lot of things you kind of let slide with, with, with young people. I mean, they might talk a little differently than you do, especially when you get older. Um, you know, they just, and, and you give them some slack because it's not easy being a teenager, right? You guys know that who are teenagers. But this one was like, no, 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 no. no. Those two are not married. They don't have a real commitment yet. Oh, they might be committed to one another, but at any point, one of them can say, you know what? Mm, nah, I'm moving on. I know it's just an illustration, but doesn't it make sense? I mean, it's simple. It's simple to understand. There's a difference between acting committed and really being committed. And not just being committed, but actually acting upon that commitment and placing your full confidence in what Christ has done. So how about you? Have you put your faith in Christ and committed your way to him? If you say yes, then what I would say is hopefully you have worshipped through this text and even now, you can pause and say, God, thank you. Thank you for committing yourself to me. Because only by you loving me first was I able to turn around and love you. Isn't that what the Bible says? We love him because he first loved us. We respond to him creating a relationship with us. And him wanting to be with us forever right? We respond to that by saying, I want to be with you forever and I want to be faithful to you. If you can't say that, if you have to admit this morning that, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about this folks, but it's just the way it is. If you're still kind of flirting or maybe you feel like, well, you know, I'm just kind of getting to know God right? What do the scriptures tell us? Now is the time of salvation. So if we can kind of shift this back to Christmas and our traditions, a gift that is never received is really never yours. You can shake it. You can admire it. Oh, look, at it. it's just beautifully wrapped, right? You can even open it and examine the gift. But if it stays under the tree, you have never received it. Now we say, because the word says that receiving Christ is an act of God. But here's the thing. We don't know who God is going to act upon. We don't know how he's going to do that. We don't know when. We just know if we're a follower of Christ that he's done it for us. Right? That's from God's perspective. From our perspective, what it comes down to is this. Every person in this room, every person in this world has already made a decision for Jesus. It's, I'm going to follow him or I'm not. Because ultimately it comes down to the commitment.
Christ was given. A promise of joy was made. A, a promise of eternal life was made possible through his gift. And so I simply would encourage you today, if you have never received the gift of Christ, it truly is a gift. You don't have to, you don't have to as a matter of fact, you can't do anything. That's what this, Bible, this text says. You can't do anything to receive it. But just like with a wedding ring, and I understand, men, we have to kind of shift our thinking a little bit, right? Because we're usually the ones giving the wedding ring, right? But, but at the same time, if we can put our, all of ourselves back on that bride's side, when, when God, in essence, hum, humbled himself and got down on one knee and died for us, and that invitation was given, right? We respond. But we don't respond and say, oh, that's great. You know, now, you know, we have a relationship. And then you go off and do whatever you please. No, no, that, there, there is something that, and again, I understand some of you, you're not married yet, or maybe you're just not married still. doesn't matter. We know what, the, what it is. But if you are married today, you understand. It is, it is a commitment. The whole difference here is this. And, and again, I, I, I'm teasing just a little bit, but unlike Maggie, she did not marry a perfect spouse, a perfect husband. Guess what? The Lord comes to us as the perfect husband. As the one who provides everything we can possibly need. We can examine him. We can say, boy, he's a wonderful person. We can learn about him. And again, just Christmas thinking, we can still just leave him under the tree. I, I hope that you will receive him today. And if not today, I, I do hope soon. So if God is speaking to you today, I just encourage you, respond. Not because it's Christmas, but because it's Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have just celebrated your son this morning, it did not begin when we started reading John 1. It began as we were um, not entertained, but led in worship by music. As we prayed to you, as we just thought about who you are as God the Son, come into this world to save many. We thank you, Lord, for being able to be together today. We pray, Lord, for those who could not be here. We know that we have a number of folks who are simply traveling and, and possibly with other family or whatever it might be. We know, Lord, there are some who are just simply not feeling well today. We pray that you bless them. But as we celebrate together the birth of Christ, we thank you that you came into this world, God himself, Delivering to us and for us something that no one else could possibly do, the hope of heaven. We thank you for the very simple gift in Jesus. Simple message, hard to get over ourselves. 
I pray, Lord, that you will act in each heart as you desire, as you will. And as we leave this place and even celebrate together tomorrow as families, I pray, Lord, that we'll just exalt you. Remembering again, it's all about Christ and his coming. It's all about God in the highest. Emmanuel, God with us. The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, coming to this world. In many ways, invading this world. And in spite of all the rejection, by a very gift of God, you have brought many to saving faith in Jesus. We thank you for our hope in him. In Jesus' name, amen.